Amen. Thank you, Julian and uh, Jonathan. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome back as we begin a new week and uh, a new month. Uh, I want to give just a brief, brief overview of the week before I talk about today. Um, so today is a short week uh, in that tomorrow is advising day, so there is no class or chapel. Um, Wednesday, though, we'll be back, back in here uh, in 516 Film Festival preview uh, will be taking place. Uh, that's going to be a great, uh, a great time. Uh, really excited about that and how, how the Lord will show, uh, show his light through, uh, through students and through what they're doing in the creative arts here at Northwestern. And then Thursday, prayer chapel uh, will be the alternative chapel here in this room. And then Friday, our praise chapel led by one of our student teams. Um, this, uh, and then two other announcements real, real briefly. Uh, so tonight at 7 p.m. is a, a, an evening event uh, with a, a college ministry called the Circuit Riders. And so 7 p.m. Um, in Naz Great Room, it's going to be a really dynamic time of worship, prayer, hearing from the Word, and testimonies of what God is doing in college and university campuses around our nation and how we're a part of God's greater redemptive story um, and bringing about spiritual awakening here in this nation. So I want to invite you to come tonight. Uh, 7 p.m. Naz Great Room, and then also to be signing up this week, if you haven't already, to uh, pack and to pray for the week of prayer and service, which begins next week. So on April 11th, we'll be spending the day uh, packing meals in partnership with Kids Against Hunger, and then doing a series of prayer walks um, on campus in our community and in the city. Um, but today, uh, uh, one of the things, the emphasis of the month of April is uh, sexual assault awareness. And while that is a, a, a difficult and a deep and a serious topic, um, God is doing, um, uh, as he does in setting captives free, doing a remarkable work. And Northwestern uh, is really privileged to get to be a part of that in some of our local partnerships. And so this morning has really came out of a... Of a uh, a collaboration and conversation with some of the student leaders in the local engagement. And uh, we even have a student club called Writing in the Sand that has partnership with a ministry called Source, uh, which is the only faith-based organization in our Twin Cities that's directly working with um, those that uh, are, are involved in, in, in sex trafficking and sexual assault and, and bringing the hope and the healing of the gospel. And uh, this morning, we actually have the founder and the director of Source Ministries, Peter Wohler, who will be speaking uh, he's actually uh, uh, an alumni from Northwestern, from, uh, from when before you were all born, so back in 1987. And, um, and so from 1990, it started in 1995, he started Source Ministries, um, and uh, from there has been uh, a presence of the light of the gospel um, in our city. Um, he, uh, along with his wife, have been pastoring Merge Vineyard Church in the la for the last 10 years, um, has seen uh, God's supernatural power at work uh, both in him and through him. And uh, what you see on the screen, actually the pilot did uh, back in 2018, just a year ago, uh, did, a, did a, a story on him. And uh, one of the things that just to be uh, good for you to know, in, in fall of 2017, uh, Peter was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and was given 30 to 60 days to live. So just let that sink in. That was over a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And he's here with us today because of God's faithfulness and power and that God still has work that he's going to do in and through him. And part of that work is bringing the light of the gospel um, uh, to those that are broken and hurting. And so uh, would you please give a warm Northwestern welcome to our brother in Christ, Peter Wohler. Let's pray for Peter and uh, as we pray for ourselves as he shares with us. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we could be called 
your children. I thank you that you are close, that you are Emmanuel, that your Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill um, your son and our brother, Peter, now. Thank you for bringing him here today, that this um, divinely orchestrated moment in chapel for him to be sharing, and that, that as he shares, um, Lord, that he would be a pure channel of your grace to flow through, and that our hearts would be fully attentive and engaged, that our hearts would be good soiled to receive your truth, to be further equipped to partner with you in your mission and bringing your light, to bringing your hope, your redemption that we know is only found in you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for this time together. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Justin. Praise God. It is great to be here. Um, Wonderful to be back on campus. We've been back a few times since 87. So, um, so to start out with, if you were born after 1993, stand up. Come on. If you're born after 93, stand up. Okay, look around. Good deal. Okay, this hair right here is older than you, just so you know. You can sit down now. So... It, uh, it really would be remiss of me not to mention um, having me come speak in chapel on April Fool's Day. I, I really wasn't sure if it was really going to happen until this morning. And Billy and Kevin, if you're here, now's the time because it's going to kind of get serious in a few minutes. So I trust that they're not here. Um, no, it really is fun to be here. Um, it is great to be back on campus. Northwestern um, is real dear to my heart. So many great memories, friends. Um, but also uh, quite a legacy. My parents went here in 1951 when Billy Graham was the president. Well, it wasn't here. It was downtown, but here at, at Northwestern. And so I um, really appreciate my, my parents were both first-generation Christians. They walked down in a little revival meeting in small-town North Dakota when they were 16, 17 years old, and within a couple years, um, of not being in unchurched homes, they ended up at Northwestern campus learning about the Bible. Um, and my dad went on to be a pastor for all of his life. And, uh, and he just went to be with the Lord um, just last October, and my mom just a few years before that. So it's great to be here, great to be here on campus. Um, you know, we just have a few minutes, and uh, uh, I want to show, I mean, I, this is, this is, we're going to show a little thing about our urban outreach. Laura was with you guys last year, talking about sex trafficking, um, being here at the beginning of uh, the, the um, just the, the sexual assault awareness uh, month. Um, I'm so, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here, but I, I'm also very, uh, I don't want to say excited, it's probably the wrong word, um, but, but, but it's really a good thing that Northwestern has this month. And uh, is the, the reality of what happens in our culture and society, again, would be remiss to, to not bring this to the light when it is epic in our culture. Epic's probably the wrong word, because um, that's like good. What's the opposite of epic when it's really bad? Horrific. We'll do horrific. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm older than you, so if I say something wrong, especially you guys in the front, like wave your hands and say, don't say it. Okay, that, that, your guys charged with that. Um, so let's show this video. Again, th- this is, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll touch base with it. You can see other videos specifically about trafficking. 
um, and different stats and stuff. I'm, I'm not going to dive in, do a deep dive into that, um, but, but I wanted to show you this to give you some context. So let, let's go ahead and, and roll our urban outreach video. Source Urban Outreach has reached out to the at-risk and unreached through neighborhood and homeless outreach, through a uh, followed urban arts center, community and transitional homes, and a national homeless youth outreach since 1987. Uh, the followed urban arts center is our hub of outreach. It was established in 2001 in an incredibly diverse neighborhood just outside of downtown Minneapolis, uh, where we have the Minneapolis community of art and design across the street from us with the arts. We have uh, three, four shelters within a few blocks. And uh, they say there's over 100 languages spoken with a large international community as well. It's an ideal spot for us to be a light in the urban mix of that diversity. When reaching out to the at-risk and unreached, the marginalized, uh, victims, the skeptical, it is so important to have a permanent location, a uh, place that is safe and welcoming, that can um, not just provide physical and emotional needs, but also from individuals that, that people can relate to, that we call friends. Uh, reaching out to those who are hurting for them to have a community where they feel worth and value is something that they don't have in anywhere else in the world. Uh, the fallout has allowed us to do that for, for going on 20 years now. Uh, it's been a place um, to receive individuals, um, but also a place for us to be accessible and available. I've been involved in this neighborhood since 1994. It's been exciting this year as we've been rehabbing the Fallout Urban Arts Center. And as we've been doing that, there's a new energy, a part of that, and in our programming. We've been involved with community meals, food shelf, prayer weeks, and hostessing art and music events. All of these events are important so that we can make contact and gain trust in order that we can speak into people's lives. Every year, several hundred volunteers come and serve at Source. Churches, businesses, and individuals donate their time and skills. The Fallout Block Party, our largest outreach event of the year, takes dozens of volunteers to make it a reality. One church in particular sends their junior and senior high youth group to provide a kids carnival. It's a joy to see these kids interacting with and loving on our neighbors. Source has been reaching out to the marginalized youth and underground traveling community nationally since the late 1990s. Events like Mardi Gras and counterculture gatherings that take place in national forests attract tens of thousands of individuals. Many suffer from broken homes, addictions, and are disillusioned with life. At these gatherings, we host the Jesus Kitchen. We serve hundreds of meals a day, prayer and worship times, many conversations of spirituality and future hope. Some will warm up to you right away, while others come slower after observing you for several years. Breaking down walls, speaking hope into people's future, and praying with individuals who have never received prayer before is incredibly rewarding. Prayers to begin and renew faith journeys, baptism in the woods, and introducing people to recovery homes have been highlights over the years. Our renovations are allowing us to expand our creative outreach to skeptical and marginalized young adults. Many of these young adults are either artists themselves or they use arts as a way of creative means to communicate to others around them. And as they come to our art center, as we connect with them, it allows us to get to know them, for there to be trust gained, and then for there to be further dialogue for either faith questions or for us to pray with them and minister to them. Being a friend, serving physical needs, as well as being a voice of God's love and forgiveness, allows us to invite people to go deeper 
and invite them to be a part of lifelong change. It's incredibly gratifying to see individuals that initially would never come into a church or even look to a social worker to get involved in transitional homes, mentoring, and spiritual formation groups. These groups are based on one hope, seeing individuals grow in their faith, and how congregations can be a lifelong community of support and encouragement, as well as secondly, opportunity, nurturing practical needs, as they make positive life choices, overcoming addictions, seeking GEDs and education goals, entering job skills, and single parenting. To see lives redeemed, individuals be able to overcome incredibly abusive past, as well as build foundations for the future is amazing. This has been a very challenging year in many ways, but we've continued to see God's provision. Um, to be a part of this place for nearly 20 years and see new windows and a new kitchen and resource area expanded um, has been a huge blessing. But not just to have this place have a shiny new coat on it, to be a greater tool that brings in more people. Uh, we've, just in the last few months, we've already seen more individuals and new faces. And we're excited to hear their stories and to see how God redeems their lives. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of this story um, now, and we're excited to see what happens more in the future. Yeah, they, uh, they did a great job in that video. Um, I, I wanted to show that to give some context, because as, as we talk about, uh, again, um, sexual assault, sexual exploitation, um, it is so much beneath our culture. Um, it, it is so much... Um, again, it's horrific. And um, someone once said the trouble with normal is, is it always gets worse. And we, we kind of become numb to it. Um, I, don't, I don't think we can help become numb to it. Um, the amount of sexual images, violent images that youth have these days. Um, it, seriously, I don't know how you guys do it. Being young adults, being the age that you're at. Um, I'm raising teenagers. I have four kids. Three of them are teenagers. Um, and just, just trying to walk through them. It's like there's times when me and my wife are, are just, you know, overwhelmed, and all we can do is pray at night, um, just knowing what, what they're being faced with. And, you know, over the years, um, you know, the, the, the thing about the sex industry and whether it's trafficking, because as we talk about, um, again, sexual assault, we're, we're not just talking about women that end up in trafficking. That does happen. That is very, very significant. That is a reality um, in our world. Minnesota is the number one per capita of homeless youth in the nation. A third total numbers. But, but um, there's this term called Minnesota Connection. If you're not familiar with that, that's from the 70s. Minnesota Connection was termed because law enforcement would see more and more how blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls would have, um, be lured um, with uh, aspirations of stardom in New York, Las Vegas, L.A., and the music and the movie industry. And once they got individuals, naive, naive young women out there, they would be cut off from resources, cut off from family, and they'd be taken advantage of. And often um, introduced to drugs, and then the only other option was to be involved in trafficking and prostitution. Um, that's a 50-year history, at least, right here in the good old, good old Midwest, Minnesota nice. And um, if you work with homeless youth, you know, I'm part of... Part of Part of my history of, of even coming from um, Northwestern is like um, I had a passion to be a light in darkness. 
Um, I, I wanted to go where, like, there was no one else. Very few Christians. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, I got married and, uh, in 96, and one of these older women that, you know, they, they know you since you were yay big and have all the wonderful, embarrassing stories, but she didn't have any pictures, so she couldn't prove anything. But, um, you know, she, she said, I remember you as the kid who was concerned about the third verse. Now, once upon a time in churches, they would sing songs, not from screens. There'd be these books, and these books had words in it, and they were called hymnals, okay? And um, in the hymnals, and I grew up in a Baptist church, um, and uh, uh, at the end, in the final, you know, we, we, we would sing um, the first, second, and fourth verse. I, I guess we went 60 seconds over, and we couldn't spend that last 60 seconds singing the third verse. And so I, I pointed that out. And actually, it was like one of those moments, I was like, whoa, you know, for myself. He said, and I remember you as the kid that was concerned with the third verse, because you would ask why we wouldn't sing it. And you were concerned that just was left out. And that's what I see you doing as you're working with Source. And this was the first couple years I was with Source. Um, I ended up uh, in 92, 93 overseas. And I, I had never planned to work with young people coming out of different abuses um, from sex. Um, that, that was never on my radar. Um, and uh, as, as uh, um, I grew up in Brooklyn Park, it was a typical suburb back in the 70s um, when, when, I, when I grew up. A lot of North Minneapolis has moved north now, and, and uh, um, Brooklyn Park is very different. Um, but, but as I got started to get involved, um, I, I ended up with Youth with a Mission in Amsterdam and India and other cities in Europe, working in red light districts, working, um, working uh, um, in uh, getting introduced to brothels, um, being on different teams that did that. And my aspirations were, I, I heard about homeless youth, and that seemed like a, a very needy group. 92, 93, walls come down from Eastern Europe. Uh, I had a passion, again, to go where there was no one else. So after spending um, a year, more than a year overseas, just like, you know, seeing God do this incredible things and church planters in India and just um, literally seeing miracles, like this, this whole thing opened up to me and I was, I was just kind of um, just excited just to do, you know, God, send me anywhere, you know. Um, I got to meet Mother Teresa in India and that's a different story. Um, but uh, and just, just, it just very much impacted me. And so I'm, I'm at a moment of figuring out next, and, and I'm picturing, because now Russia and Eastern Europe is asking for Bible teachers to come in because they've never had Bible teachers there before, and there, there's this there's window that's open, and I'm thinking I'm there, and I'm trying to figure out exactly where, and I'm praying to God, God, what would you have me do? And he gives me that classic missionary verse, right, Acts 1-8, to go, you know, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I said, yes, God, I want to do that. And then I, I, I can't quite explain it, except Jerusalem was highlighted. And I saw the whole verse. I was like, yes, God, I want to do that. And Jerusalem was still highlighted. And, it, and I was like, God, I, I, I want to I do that. <laughs> and he said, go to Jerusalem. My Jerusalem is Minneapolis. And at the time, I'm like, oh, this is the last place I want to be. 
There's no there's nothing exciting. There's no like missionary adrenaline. There, there's no, nothing that you know um, where that is going to draw me to Minneapolis, to my home. I end up coming back to Minneapolis, starting involved with homeless youth. Um, some kids that I had done some junior high stuff with a few years back started calling me up. They're teenagers now. They were on their own. Um, started getting exposed to their friends, their networks. Um, if you do anything with homeless youth, you're going to see teen prostitution. You're going to see survival sex. Um, it was very tribal. They, they, it was very weird because the same group that they would call family that literally would help them survive would also solicit them to be involved with sexual relationships. And they had to put on this front like it was no big deal. And it, it was just, it was so awkward. And because slowly I got befriended by this group. And the different situations, um, not that I was ever there or involved with anything, but just the conversation and just knowing that it was happening. And, and at the same time, just seeing this darkness that is just like, I just didn't like. I didn't want to be there. Then 48 hours of a homeless youth hitting the streets in our city, they'll be proposed, propositioned by someone from the drug or the sex industry. It's a huge market. It's a global market. It's an internet market. To have younger and younger faces is part of the market. I mentioned homeless youth. Homeless youth are 14 to 20 year olds who are on their own without their parents. So it's not talking about children and homeless families. It's talking literally about 14 to 20 year olds on their own. Over half of foster kids will become homeless within a year after they get released when they're 18. I'm really glad when I was 19 years old, if I didn't figure out something or I had heard of obstacles or I ran out of money, I had my parents to go back to. Foster kids don't have that. They end up on their own. Many times they end up homeless. So being involved with that over the years, and, you know, there, there, there's so many different stories um, that we could tell you, and it's not just females. You know, there was a 17-year-old young man that we met. We met him. He couldn't hardly speak two sentences just because of his addictions. He was involved in male prostitution. He, he was at our discipleship house, and he was called by someone, and to this day, I have no idea how they ever gotten that phone number, but he was called by someone and um, asked if he wanted to come back to Florida to make another pornography film and get paid $3,000 for a week's amount of work, and we're trying to convince him to keep his minimum wage job at Subway. And this kid at the time was 17, but he looked 12, he probably weighed, you know, a buck twenty, soaking wet. And that's why they wanted him. <laughs> when we, uh, he lived with the guy who had the first um, homosexual bookshop in Loring Park. He turned him in. And the police said, you got 24 hours. So you got 24 hours, and this person's going to be released. He said, I have nowhere to go. Police said, you have 24 hours. So we, uh, we grabbed our van, went in, went to grab his stuff. I can't tell you, the stuff in that house was 
horrific. And I think what was more horrific to me was realizing that this 17-year-old kid, it was normal. We walked by pictures, we walked by paraphernalia, we walked by different equipment. And it, it wasn't a big deal to him. And we brought him into our Joshua house, our, our men's house, and he had a season of, of building relationship and having community around him that grew him. And there were times where it was awkward. His humor was twisted. It was gross. What, what he thought was funny, which is just, again, he was a teenager, what, around the culture that he was in, around the people that gave him worth and value. The different actions and behaviors, of course that's what he would do. But we, we had to navigate things that were completely offensive, that were like, how could you say that? How could you do that? I had to have conversations with staff and other individuals if he should still stay. And we had to navigate that, and it was, it was hard. Praise God that, that he is doing great and got his GD moved in with one of our board families, lived with them for a season, ended up uh, graduating from, I think, Cordon Bleu. He's a chef. Now he works at a camp up north. He goes to, in the wintertime, he goes to Florida, works at a hotel there. Smart kid. Kind of figured out that thing. But you know, the, the thing that I, I want to end with in talking about sexual acts, because again, it's not just with trafficking victims. As we work with homeless, as we work with the marginalized, but you guys, it's, it's not, you know, there's people in this room that have had stuff happen to them that have never talked about it. Never talked about it. Because it's hard and it's awkward. And there's a whole shame thing. And the one thing, if you do anything, I encourage you to check out some videos that are of videos of women that have been able to get out and are living redeemed lives and are connected with local churches and have individuals that are family and positive role models in their life and have recovery resources. Check out those videos. Because I believe the church has to do this. And if it doesn't, I believe excuse me, <clears throat> if it doesn't, we are failing our beloved. Amen. Um, we got to figure out how to be a friend and a voice. We got to figure out how to be family. Last night, uh, I don't know, who was it? Duke lost. Um, yeah, I love it when the... I, w I love it when the number one team loses. And you know, the guy, the guy that missed the free throw, and I don't even know names, but the guy that missed the free throw in the last second, he was devastated, right? They showed him for minutes just on the court. And there's two guys around him consoling. These two guys have these warm-up jerseys. They say family on them. What a, that is a beautiful picture. I, I, I don't even feel bad for that kid. It's a, it's a game, okay? It's a game. Um, he lost. Of course he's mostly invested, and of course he should be devastated. But that picture of allowing, you know, his teammates to come around him, 
as family. What a beautiful picture. And I mention that because within culture and society, we see these things that I believe are actually prophetic to what God wants to do. We need to be family. We need to go into the dark. We need to be light. It's not pretty. It's very hard. And we need to figure out how to be family to those individuals. And if we're going to talk about sexual assault and exploitation, and if we're going to talk about, ultimately, I hope the conversation goes to healing and redemption and recovery, and how can these oppressions be overcome? It's not going to be removed from the body of Christ figuring out how to be family to individuals and to be a place that is safe and to be a place that speaks worth and value. And it takes vision and perseverance to figure it out because it's not easy. Um, I'd like to end by praying. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be in the billy. Is that what you affectionately call it, the billy? Is that right? Someone nod from over here. You're just leaving me hanging. Okay, yes. Um, I'm going to be there between noon and one. Um, so by the coffee station, shop, I guess. So um, just want to invite people um, for that. Let me end with praying. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your presence. I thank you, Lord, that you are bigger and your heart is bigger um, than anybody, than any of ours. But also your heart is for the marginalized. Lord, thank you that you came alongside those who are sexually assaulted in the scriptures. Thank you that you were there on those that had been devastated by prostitution. And you loved them, and you acknowledged them, and you gave them worth and value, and you said, you are welcome here. So Jesus, I ask you that you show us how we can bring your presence into lives. I ask you, how can our churches, how can our small groups, how can our homes be open how, how can we bring a, be a vessel of redemption, of healing, of restoration to an area that's, that's really dark? How can we be that light, Lord? Ah, Jesus, we praise you that we can be a part of your kingdom, that we can be a part of your story, that we can be used by you. And I pray for this student body. I thank you for the faculty and the board and the people that provide this place, but I pray for the student body, Holy Spirit, that this would be a body that would be a light in darkness, that would be vessels of healing. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.